a podcast to honor the gods. This better come with a sacrifice. Deus Ex Media. Harry hurried across the room, closed the door, then returned slowly to his bed and sank onto it, gazing unseeingly at the foot of the wardrobe. He had forgotten completely about prefects being chosen in the fifth year. He had been too anxious about the possibility of being expelled to spare a thought for the fact that badges must be winging their way toward certain people. But if he had remembered, if he had thought about it, what would he have expected? Not this said a small and truthful voice inside his head. Harry screwed up his face and buried it in his hands. He could not lie to himself. If he had known the prefect badge was on its way, he would have expected it to come to him, not Ron. Did this make him as arrogant as Draco Malfoy? Did he think himself superior to everyone else? Did he really believe he was better than Ron? Before we get started today, I wanted to drop in with just a few words. First of all, it is my absolute pleasure to inform you all that we have hit our Patreon stretch goal. That means that enough people signed up for our Patreon since whenever the hell I started this thing so that we can have a live stream. So to all our patrons, there's going to be a live stream this Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to be reading my immortal verbatim, including spelling. Until it's not fun anymore. You know, we'll run maybe like an hour, uh, maybe two. If you're not yet a patron, it is not too late. You can still sign up to be a patron for as little as a dollar a month. You can support this indie podcast. All of our net proceeds get donated to organizations that support trans youth. For this season, we're donating our net proceeds to Camp Lilac, which is an organization that is like an actual camp for gender nonconforming kids to go have a safe space. We're really excited to be supporting them this season, and you can support them too. Support this show, sign up for our Patreon, get access to our live stream on Friday. It's going to be a hoot. <laughs> I don't know. I don't never said a hoot like that before, but it's going to be fucking fun. I don't know. Just sign up. Sign up for the Patreon, please. I also just wanted to give a massive shout out to my beautiful husband, Sean. I feel like uh, when I was editing this episode, listening back, it sounds like I'm talking a lot of shit about him. That's just because we have some pretty real conversations in this episode about emotional labor and uh, whose responsibility is the home and domestic issues. So obviously, uh, as a married person, I have a lot to say about that. But I do feel like what I didn't make clear in this episode is how much I love and value and respect him (laughs) and all of the many things he does for me. He might not always remember to do the dishes, but he does do my taxes for me. So I just wanted to give him a loving shout out. He does not even listen to this podcast, but just know that all of the things I bring up in this episode are things that we're actively working through lovingly together as a couple. Um, It does kind of just sound like I'm sitting here complaining about him and I didn't feel good about that. So that is what four margaritas in a heated conversation about domestic labor will do to me. So I just didn't want anyone to get the wrong idea. Value your partners by both speaking beautiful things about them into the universe and helping them with the dishes or just do them yourself. Have you ever thought of that? I don't know. 
Welcome to the Restricted Section, a Harry Potter slander, Harry Potter book club podcast where one of the most beloved elements of my childhood is the reason I'm going slowly insane over the course of several years. If you haven't done the reading, don't worry, we did it for you. Here's what we're talking about today. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 9, The Woes of Mrs. Weasley. This one's really just a filler chapter that we didn't really need in between Harry's hearing and the start of school. Ron and Hermione get chosen as prefects, which everyone agrees is a strange choice that no one saw coming. Then on the last day of school, they have a dinner to celebrate Ron and Hermione becoming prefects in which everyone gets to deliver some lovely world building filler dialogue. Love that. Love that in this 870 page long book. And finally, Molly Weasley is bested by a Bogart that insists on pretending to be all of her children dead, including her favorite child, Harry. Welcome to the restricted section where we like to get ridiculous. I've had four margaritas today. Woo! <laughs> My co-host today is the bad Bogart bitch herself, Mary Payton. Say hello to the listeners, Mary Payton. Hello. What an intro. Damn. Yeah. And I'm super excited because our special uh, 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 our special <laughs> guest today is my beloved friend, Sam, from over at Content and Capable. Say hello to the listeners, Sam. Hello. Uh, it's lovely to be back on. I'm so glad to have you here. Um, I miss you. I miss your face. I miss hugging you. In case you guys don't know, Sam's a great hugger. Aw. <laughs> <laughs> I miss being in person. I was looking at flights back to the US for next Aww. year um, in the hopes that That's I can fun. come back and be in person again. I texted Sam like two hours ago and I was like, I wish you were drinking a margarita with me. And he was like, it is 6 a.m. here. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. He was always a very good sport. <laughs> I, and then I immediately was like, oh, I was drinking alcohol last night. I didn't get that drunk, but I felt like I should have. Uh, let's just say it's still in your system and you're feeling ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast ridiculous. Uh, hey, Mary Payton. What's up? Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. I almost forgot. Oh my forgot. God, happy birthday, Mary Faith. Thank you so much. It's your birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> Do you want to tell the listeners when your birthday is? It's on Halloween, y'all. Yes. Boop, boop. Because I'm a the real only witch. true witch on this podcast. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, real witch. Scorpio, Slytherin, Halloween, all the things. Check all yeah. the boxes. I have a lot of Scorpio friends. Um, we've talked about this on the show before, maybe on a bonus episode, but Mary Peyton, Grace, and Haley are all Scorpios. Mary Peyton's the only one where you would look at her and say, that's a Scorpio right there. <laughs> oh my God, what an honor. Wow. That's a Scorpio right there. Grace yeah. and Haley, it's like, huh, really? Thank you so much. Is that because of all the leather, black leather jackets? It's the leather jackets. Yeah, yeah, it's the leather jackets and the Doc Martens. That'll do it. Yeah, it is. And big Slytherin energy too. Mm-hmm. Happy Halloween to all our witches and warlocks and ghosts and vampires and zombies. I'm like, what was in Hocus Pocus? Um, am I missing anything? Madonna. Mm. Madonna. <laughs> Your mom dressed up as hot Madonna. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I was like, what is she talking about Madonna? She wasn't in that. But I got you. 
but someone close. who clearly yeah. doesn't know what the what they the idea of Halloween dress is, or just refuse to dress up at the party. You know, there's always that one person. It's usually me, but you know. Yeah, one time my friend Adrian came to my Halloween party as uh, as undressed and uh, unbathed. She wasn't <laughs> naked. She must not have said undressed. <laughs> hold on, uh, hold on. Definitely unbathed was part of that joke. I love it. I love that concept. Yeah. I have a Halloween party in three days. I still haven't decided what I'm dressing up as. There's a lot of social pressure to dress up, and I have no idea. My brother also going to the same party. I think he's already sorted his costume. Although reluctantly, I think. I think it's a group costume, so. So here's what I do. What day is it? It's November 1st. I'm already thinking, what am I going to be for next Halloween? And I keep a note on my phone with all the ideas I think of over the year. I love that. About the beginning of September, I'm like, it's time to start figuring it out. We did consider dressing up as minions and going as um, Despicable Me, like a, a significant portion of us considered it. That's very divisive. Some people hate the minions. We have a friend of ours who loves it a lot. And oh. um, we, <laughs> we had a PowerPoint party last night um, and it ended with him, his Microsoft Paint drawings of minions in various situations and positions. And it just reminded uh, me like of the- sex? No. Like sex positions? Oh, come on. You no, gotta be specific. That's like, I thought you were implying there. Positions. Yeah. Slutty. There's a, there was a slutty one. There was a, a very buff uh, minion that had clearly oh. not had done leg day. There were, <laughs> there were drawings of Brew. It was a part of a wider PowerPoint about recreating images on Microsoft Paint to, with varied levels of cursedness. So it was... Amazing. I was... I might have been in tears laughing on the floor. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Mary Payton, do you know what you're being for Halloween? No, I do this thing every year where I can't possibly imagine that I will go to a Halloween event, except for yours, Christina. Oh, it's not like anyone invited you to anything. (laughs) Calm down, calm down. But I just like truly don't think about it. Um, And I think that I won't need anything or I'll be able to think of something last minute. Every year I do this. And then... The day before, I panic, and I'm like, man, I have this great idea, and I have no time to do it. And then I end up being, like, a devil or, you know, something where it's... I've seen you be a witch more than once. Witch. Always a witch. Just something where you can, like, just choose one color and go with it, and it's easy. I have my unicorn onesie. I have my T-Rex costume. You can borrow that. I have, have, like, some some Harry Potter shit. Got some witch shit. I actually am going to try... Because of Haley's party theme, I am going to try to do Rachel Weiss from The Mummy. So you're doing that for the weekend after Halloween because that's Haley's birthday. Well, I mean, I could do it for both. Wow. You're going to do it for both, huh? Outfit repeater. Lizzie McGuire, you are an outfit repeater. I have three Halloween themed events and I'm not planning on having three separate costumes. (gasps) Oh my god, I would die to have three separate costumes. I'm going to the Ren Fair this weekend, got a costume for that. Yes, it's a full costume, it's not just an outfit. And the next weekend after that is Halloween, got a costume, got a backup costume in case we do something on Friday. I have the outfit I'm going to wear on Halloween. I'm a nanny, nobody cares. Can't ignore the holiday, though. <laughs> Are you going to wear it to nanny? It's just a hoodie with the skeleton on it. Oh, that's cute. Can't ignore it. Oh. The kid I nanny was dressed up as a shark today. He has a shark hoodie. Oh, <laughs> oh, just so Beautiful. precious, baby. 
And then, yes, the week after that is Haley's birthday, which is also a costumed affair. And then perhaps the following week we'll do a clothing swap so we can get rid of all of the clothes we've accumulated for all these costume things. <laughs> That's a great idea. Everyone will be trying to get rid of costumes. And because it's right after Halloween, no one will want them. <laughs> I just hoard all my costume stuff. I have like 17 costumes that I could whip out right now. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I have so many themed parties mm-hmm, at my mm-hmm. home. But I have like an anxiety about not being able to dress up as 17 different things. You do have like... A, a good knack at hosting a great party. So thank you so much, Sam. And he so is now speaking from experience because <laughs> since the last time you were on the show, you've been to my house, right? I know. Yeah. I've drank your margaritas. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so sorry for those. <laughs> he was fine. I, I think it was the, probably the best way to get the party started that night. That was. Yeah, a little too quickly. <laughs> Zach was in bed by 11. <laughs> we got. We, we went so fast. I just remember the weird stress of we walk back in the house and there's like two hours until everyone's supposed to arrive and we all need to have showers and everything else. And then it's like this whole have we made the uh, margaritas for everyone? Do we have enough alcohol and mixes? And my problem is. I'm not I'm not trying to say like I'm so good at drinking alcohol I don't even taste the booze but with margaritas specifically I have like a I have a, like a tequila blindness mm-hmm. which is so understandable I will, I will make like the strongest margaritas I was like I don't think these are strong enough and our good friend Matt was like, oh, they're strong enough. I remember <laughs> oh, that. They're strong enough. <laughs> we all turned around like, okay, if Matt says they're strong enough, we're probably <laughs> right. <laughs> It reminds me of we were drinking um, Skittles vodka over the weekend, and it was like, oh, this Oof. tastes like oh. cough syrup, which is fine. But it's like, I could yeah, keep h- drinking. How old are you, Sam? Are you 21? I'm turned 21 at the end of the year, yeah. So that, uh, that reminds me of exactly when I was 20. <laughs> but it's like, yes. I had vodka blindness because I'm like, oh, this vodka is great. It tastes, it reminds me of like the cough syrup as I had a kid. I could keep drinking this for forever. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. I could never. Cough syrup anymore. is like, ugh, ugh. I guess we should get started on the chapter. The thing with today's chapter is that it was long to read with your eyes, but what happens in it? Not that much. It was like an hour of like chapter when I was listening to the audio. It was an hour of chapter. I was like, what? (laughs) So I almost always read the chapters with my eyes because I'm trying to pull fun quotes for the Twitter. Sometimes I listen to the audiobook if I don't have a lot of time, but today was a shit show. <laughs> so today I I listened to a YouTube audiobook of like the first 20 minutes of it. And then I went to a bar to get happy hour with my friends and I was sitting at the bar reading an illegally downloaded copy. Not afraid to say it. It's Harry fucking Potter <laughs> on my phone, which kept trying to ask me to sign in. And then I would have to like refresh the page because I'm like, I'm not signing in. Ooh, I'm a new person now. I've refreshed it. And I would get to read like a couple lines and then it would be like, sign in. And I'd be like, oh, Jesus Christ. And I would. Man, <laughs> nightmare. And then I got back in the car, kept listening to the audiobook. <laughs> so my understanding of this chapter is uh, patchwork, to say the least. <laughs> Chaotic at best. So today we're talking about Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, chapter nine, the woes of Mrs. Weasley. And unfortunately, it's not. W-H-O-A, that's a W-O-E. She's not like, whoa, what cool thing's going on here? She's like, oh, Multiple woe times. is me. She does spend half of the chapter going, whoa, and then the other half of the chapter whoa. in woe. <laughs> True. 
As a reminder, the last chapter that we covered was the hearing. Harry did his hearing. He's off scot-free. He's cleared of all charges. Mm -hmm. He's like, at the beginning of this chapter, he's like sitting in the room. He's like, whoa, I just got cleared of all charges. That little voice I did just reminded me of our friend Mike Brooks' husband, and I miss him on the show. I have to get him back on. Whoa, would you look at that? Cleared of all charges. I feel like he needs to be like a narrator for like bits we have. Like that. (laughs) She wasn't like, whoa. She was like, whoa. (laughs) So Harry's sitting in the courtroom. Dumbledore's gone. He's gone. He booked it. So Harry's like, oh. Uh, you need anything? No? Okay, I'm gonna go. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna go. It says he, like, starts to walk cautiously out, and then he ends up, like, sprinting. <laughs> yeah, he takes, like, a couple of steps, looks back at the people, no one's telling, no one's yelling at him for walking away, and then he takes <laughs> off. I love that. It's exactly what I would do. So when Harry goes through the door, Arthur's like, oh, what happened? Dumbledore didn't say. So let's talk about this. Dumbledore walked his entire body past Arthur and was, like, just flipping him the bird. Yeah, that part doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand this. This is very un-Dumbledore-like behavior, where you're sitting there, you're going, you'd think the least he could do is tell the caregiver of the child who was on trial for criminal shenanigans (laughs) that he's been cleared Uh of all charges. It does make sense, like, in a Dumbledore way to me, if he, like, looks at Arthur Weasley with, like, a glint in his eye and then walks on. And he, in his Dumbledore way, is like, that must have been clear enough. I told him with my eyes. <laughs> that was clear enough. Yeah. Dumbledore reminds me of my father. Just an all-round, like, a lot of the time, a poor communicator. And then all of a sudden, he tells you everything you need to know all at once. <laughs> <laughs> Too much. Too much. Maybe spread this around a little bit. Yeah. So then they're just standing there, whereas if you ask me, I'm like, let's fucking go. Let's get the fuck out of here. They they let the entire court file out past them. You got, you're in front of them already. Just go. Yeah. And they're probably not a speedy bunch. Yeah. Like, you can outpace them. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and Arthur's like, Jesus Christ, all these fucking people were in there. Some of them say hi to him. Some of them are like, Ew. Yeah, and some of them avoid eye contact because they feel guilty, I think, is maybe Some of the them avoid eye contact because they're his estranged son. Oh. <laughs> right, that too. That too. The least you could do is say hello to your goddamn father. Please no. just say hello. I feel like Percy's behavior like this, I don't know. I almost feel like he already knows that he has done wrong to some extent. Even if he feels that his perspective is right. I think that he really knows that he has wronged his family and like cannot look his father in the eye for his own sake. You know what I mean? What do you guys think? Do you think Percy feels guilty? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think he is so, he believes so much in that the ministry is doing good and the ministry is right. And he's been indoctrinated basically. You know, he spent his whole time in Hogwarts being told that those in power know exactly what's right for you. And so he's just following along with those in power. Um, And as a middle child, he's not had the greatest support from his parents, done very well for himself, and so is more likely to believe his boss over his mother and father. I hear you. What do you think, Mary Payton? 
I I do think he feels guilt, but I think maybe he doesn't admit to, even to himself what it is. Probably, like I just imagine that he he thinks he's doing the right thing by like you know he's he's very like righteous in his decision, and I think he is. Uh, I'm forgetting the word. Self righteous, vindicated. Yeah, but also his um. Oh, I'm blanking on the word. You can delete all of this. What if I didn't, though? His ambition. Literally, I was like, the Slytherin word, Mary. Come on. Blinded by ambition. He is blinded by ambition. He thinks like that's the crowd that he needs to be in. That's the crowd that he should be in. That's what he deserves. And so, therefore, that's... But I still still think he can feel guilt while still feeling like he doesn't belong with his family. He belongs with these other people. Yeah. I'm a cancer sign, so I feel stuff really deeply. And so sometimes I will, like, think I'm feeling something and it, like, is such a big, strong feeling. And then with, like, a day or two's reflection, I'm able... So, like, for example, like, maybe I'll be, like, really mad at Sean about something and I let it, like, spiral out of control, which I don't really do these days because I value Sean and he doesn't uh, engage with this kind of stuff. But then, like, looking back a couple days later, I'm like, oh... I was mad at him for like 10 seconds. And then I think just like ever since then, I've just been frustrated with myself for not knowing how to escape this situation emotionally. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. So I wonder if Percy is like, I'm really mad. And then like three years from now, he'll be like, oh yeah, no, I was mad at myself. Weird. Didn't even pick that up. It happens way too often for me. Like I just get in a situation where, but it's usually for very trivial stuff though. I don't know about... This whole, I'm going to abandon my family for the government, the evil, right. evil Voldemort government. Yeah, I'm sure he feels a lot of things when he realizes he was fucking wrong the whole time. <laughs> yeah, uh, suddenly he's very uh, sorry. Not that he'll ever admit it. If you're going to abandon your family, at least give them a conversation about it, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Not like a screaming match. So Arthur and Harry are walking toward the elevator. Arthur's like, I'll drop you off at home. Gotta go see a man about a vomiting toilet. (laughs) Harry's like, okay, wait, first of all, I can focus on this now. Everything seems great. I would love to hear more about your vomiting toilet. (laughs) Yeah. I love that part because that's so true when you've been panicked and worried about something. And then suddenly that thing is gone. That like that relief almost feels like like physical giddiness mm. and that's yeah. literally what oh he's my feeling God, you right feel now like drunk yeah oh yeah absolutely. yes absolutely you feel like drunk you're like well that's over all your brain is just like releasing all these chemicals to be like calm down calm down and then it's like oh no we calm down too much <laughs> <laughs> the flip side of that is when you're so stressed or like so traumatized that you just start cackling and it's like, oh no, <laughs> overload. Oh yeah. Like it's like, really oh wait, tired. this is a dangerous thing. Yeah. I have been watching Breaking Bad recently for the first time, as I may have mentioned on the show. Yes. Thank you for noticing. I'm quite a slow television watcher. Um, <laughs> but I, there was a scene with that recently where like everything was ruined. Everything was awful. Everyone was going to die. And Walt was just like cackling cackling on the floor under the house just like (laughs) uh good for him so much ptsd from that show (laughs) i love it i love a show where i'm like fuck everyone i don't care who survives except for walter jr i swear to god (laughs) i would do anything for him don't get attached to anyone christina 
I don't even care about the baby that much. Just Walter Jr. is too pure for this show. (laughs) At the elevator, Harry and Arthur run into their favorite people in the whole world. Cornelius Mm -hmm. Fudge and Lucius Malfoy. Lucius. What a fun time. Harry's like, oh, my God, Lucius, I feel like I've seen you recently. Um, <laughs> was it, uh, I swear to God, was it on the, no, it wasn't at Grimmel Place. Was it, Um, was it on the underground? No. Oh, I know. I feel it's like it when was outdoors. Voldemort came back to life and tried to kill me and you were there because you're his servant. <sighs> you were cheering for him to murder me. Like he knows this, and in the back, and in the commentary that we get from him in the book is that you know he knows this. Why don't you literally just turn around right in front of Fudge and go, "Oh, it's nice to see you again. How's Voldemort going?" Just to fucking freak everyone out. Like, come on, you could cause so much chaos right now. You're cleared of all charges. Just start causing <laughs> bullshit. You're. Immune. I actually love that approach, Sam. I love the approach of well. They think I'm insane already, so let's just lean into it. <laughs> it. It's not like Lucius can't, like, he can't deny the fact that he was there when Voldemort killed Cedric Diggory. It's like, oh, you should you, you should start making comments about how he should feel guilty for Cedric Diggory dying. Like, this is, this is the perfect opportunity to make Lucius feel very uncomfortable and for Fudge to realise that he's associating with Death Eaters. Maybe Harry should have been like... I can't stop thinking about the way Voldemort killed Cedric uh, by using the Cruciatus charm and curse. And then, or, or like, I can't believe that Wormtail was so cool and in control when he did that speech, just saying things that are wrong. So yeah. Lucius is like, that's not how it went. Wormtail's a dumb <laughs> idiot. He didn't say anything. It's like that scene in Brooklyn Nine-Nine where they have that doctor who's like, killed someone and they're like classic they keep going and saying the absolutely wrong thing until he gets pissed off and admits the whole thing um, <laughs> exactly. i love that i love exactly that bullying by ignorance yeah but like at the same time you could make a comment like i could imagine cedric's parent father being on the school board or something with lucius i just going, oh the board of governors th- yeah going ha- ha- have you spoken to mr diggory since his his son died have you told him that you watched his son die while voldemort killed him and just like yeah. Yeah. really make it really uncomfortable but i think like i mentioned in here that he had already told fudge and that's why this this moment is like extra shocking that he already said who was there yeah, and um, it two Fudge and Fudge is like still meeting with this person. Um, Fudge is like, you just have a crush on his son, and I'm not getting involved in that. Yeah, <laughs> I still would cause chaos. That. There was a point in time where I was like age 15, and I got pissed off at an adult. I was in Scouts at the time. I got pissed off at my my troop leader because he was refu- He just wasn't getting back to my emails about something. So I went up to. I emailed his boss directly. Uh, because theoretically his boss was in charge of the thing I was asking about. And then, so the next time I turn up to Scouts, he turns around and my troop leader gets very angry at me for sending this email to his boss. But I'm like, well, things got done. Like, if, if, you know, I'm going to remind you that you're not doing your job properly and I will, (laughs) I will face the consequences. I just wish that, like, Harry... And or Arthur were like slicker because if I was accidentally right next to my enemies, <laughs> right, I would, I would like, I mean the kind of person I am, I I would start doing a bit or something. I would just like turn my back completely to them and be like, 
I don't even, I'm, my brain was like, and we're going to make up a really silly joke. But then my brain was like, just kidding. You're not smart enough. You're not funny enough. But you know what I mean? I would just start saying like, so I can't wait to ride the sky bison home after like, I don't know. <laughs> Leave me alone. That would be so good. So funny. I've been reading an avatar book lately. Can you tell? <laughs> Or turn around and go, oh, you know, Voldemort hasn't risen. I can't see his supporters. Because you've turned around and you're not facing Lucius Malfoy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see any supporters anywhere. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think, I think, like, even if they weren't slick about it, I don't think that, like, this is like us in our world seeing someone at a KKK rally wearing a hood. And then, like, the next day seeing them meeting with the governor Yep, but that <laughs> is super real. Also, that analogy is like, ooh, that happens. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I would, I would never like he even not being slick or trying to think of something clever or trying to trap him or get to him to admit it. I would never stop mentioning it to yeah. him to everyone around him. Yeah, yeah, yep. I, they all think you're batshit crazy. Also, you're a kid. So mm. anyway, smash cut to grim old place. Everyone's <laughs> like, everyone's like. Oh, is your life ruined? And he's like, no, 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 it's good, it's good. Of course not, I'm going of course to school, not. there's still three more books left, we gotta go. I'm the main character, it's fine. And, and then there's like this cute little line where everyone's like, oh, thank God, I knew you'd be fine, but like, God, that's a huge relief. And he's like, you all seem pretty relieved considering that you knew for sure I'd be good. <laughs> what I love is then the, the conversation afterwards where we're talking about like Sirius being in a bad mood. And it's like, Aww. we deal with a lot of childish feelings of, like, jealousy and things like that. I actually really appreciate it. It's like, oh, adults can feel really jealous of the fact that, I don't know, their godson is not going to spend the year with them in this really lonely house. Yeah, so Sirius is like, oh, my God, so happy for you, dude. And then he's like, I'm just going to go mope, mope in my bedroom. Like, don't even worry about it. <laughs> I think what you're saying is right, Sam. But at the same time... Other people keep reminding me of this, so I've I've been like learning to remember myself that Sirius has not had the past like fifteen years of emotional development mm. that the, his peers have. Like he is like twenty two, and as we all know, people in their early twenties are idiots. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, but. Everyone around him, like, for example, Molly Weasley. Wow, what an emotionally developed human being. Mm -hmm. Children, husband, life, family. She's been a mediator for years and years. And she expects Sirius Black to have the same emotional intelligence as her. Mm -hmm. And that ain't right. Yeah, he's like, he's like a dad that doesn't know how to be a dad. And so he just is like their kid's best friend or tries to be their friend instead of being a parent. Yeah. He also spent much of his formative years in prison. Like, of course you're not going to know how to not act childish. Exactly. Like, everyone turns around and expects Sirius Black to act like a full-on-fledged adult and well-adjusted human being. You've got to realise that he graduated high school, became a uh, part of like the... Like a hero vigilante. Yeah, became a part of, like, the wizard gorilla um, army... Uh, then, uh-huh. you know, went to prison uh, uh, on false accusations, uh, escaped prison uh, with your with the help of your godson and your best friends, and has been in hiding for the last year and a bit. It's like, this is working. Yeah, and I love Hermione in this part because she's so... It says she says something wisely, which is stupid, but, like, 
she really is wise in this moment because she she thinks Sirius is being selfish and both Ron and Harry are like, oh no, don't say that. Oh, how can you say that about him? Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, he is. I'm not saying that. He, but she explains like, that doesn't mean that he's a bad person. Doesn't mean that he's doing it for a bad reason. But he is being selfish. It's the kind of thing where Harry's like, hey, that's my selfish parental figure. You're not allowed to say that. Right. Yeah. But she is. And someone has to. Mm-hmm. Hermione, I, it's we're on page, what, like 190 or whatever fucking shit. Um, so thus far in the book, Molly Weasley has been the emotional intelligence. But in the next chapter, we go to Hogwarts. And, and that's when Hermione becomes the entire emotional backbone of the of the whole book. Mm-hmm. Harry engages in his first relationship and exits it traumatically and still barely feels anything. Yeah. Over the next few days, they're just waiting for summer to end, basically. Like, Harry's like, Sirius seems kind of down. So he's like, I'm down too. Hermione and Ron are like, don't even worry about it. You're not to blame for Sirius's mood. Harry's like, all I want to do is go to school. I'm sure everything will be great there and no one will be mad at me. And like, honestly, same. I'm also daydreaming about returning to Hogwarts because I'm literally bored to death of this book already. (laughs) Okay. I have like three points I want to quickly make. First of all, why is all the plot happening in this chapter and not the last five chapters? Um, What plot? What plot is happening? Sam, tell me what plot. Everything like this is this should be this should be one of the two chapters we have before we get to Hogwarts. Right. Because it's like we get the announcement of the prefix. We have. Um, a bit of characterization of the Weasley parents, um, and we have um, great descriptions of Grimmauld Place and the the court proceedings as well. And I would argue that none of that is plot. <laughs> I think it's good. It's it's a it's a good setup for like the aciness we get towards building. the end of it. The yeah. word you're looking for is world building. But um, the world you know. I I know that um, you guys have complained a lot about uh, the cleaning, the excessive amount of cleaning that's being done in this house. Oh, my God, are they cleaning again? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's probably some of the most educational stuff that they have ever learned. (laughs) Like, they don't learn much practical, like, yes, they learn wizardry and stuff like that, but they don't learn, like, real practical stuff. But, like, you know, them cleaning out Grimmauld places, like, teaching them how to clean houses and... You know, practical, <laughs> like, doing That's stuff. That's a really good point. That is, yeah. It's like trade school. <laughs> I don't know, Mary Payton, if you've had the same experience. I'm going to guess no, because your man was a father before he met you. But mm-hmm. my beloved man, who has zero children, um, like, let's say one of our adorable cats eats one of my plants. So cute. Love them so much. You're perfect to me. And then they barf it up on the carpet. Love it. Of course, your precious little body couldn't hang. Thanks so much for eating my plant just to barf it up. That's real fun for everyone. And then Sean's like, Tina, there's barf. And I'm like, cool, babe. Are you going to do anything about it? And he's like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, oh, I wasn't actually born knowing how to clean up vomit. That's something that I just had to trial and error over the years, my man. So why don't you just where do you think you should start? Where do you think you should start with that one? And I feel like Ron Weasley is the kind of man where him and Hermione in their early 20s in their first apartment, Crookshanks barfs and Ron's like, Hermione, cat barfed. What are you going to do about that? And Hermione's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm with a man who literally doesn't even know where to begin. He doesn't know where to begin. <laughs> he can't just use his brain. He needs to ask for guidance. 
one of the like very recent episodes, I was thinking about that. Like, mm-hmm. I started worrying so much about Hermione in their marriage later. Like how much <laughs> how much mental strain yeah. she has to go through. She probably has to do that all the time. I don't care how much character development he has. Like he never gets to a place where he takes charge like she does. Here's you know? what I hope. Here's what I hope. I hope that Hermione dates Ron a little bit right now because we see them get together, dates him for a few years, and then is like, hey, babe, you're really not where I need you to be. You're not where I need my partner to be. So I'm actually going to need to break up with you. I'm going to go get my parents from Australia. Forgot about them. Left them there. Um, After I wiped their memories. (laughs) Gotta go get them. I'm going to take a holiday. Move back. When you learn how to live in your own apartment without guidance, call me. And then he does. That's what I hope for her. This is why I promote people being single and living alone for a little while. Because it really, like, when I go stay at my aunt and uncle's places, they're like, O'Brien's, you're packing the dishwasher. And our whole family will, because my mother is like the queen of packing dishwashers and has passed on those skills (laughs) to us. So, like, we pack the dishwasher for everyone because we managed to fit almost twice as many dishes in at once as compared to, I get frustrated when people don't pack the dishwasher correctly or sweep the floor correctly. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm like, is Sean doing this poorly or am I being super anal about it? Yeah. Um, Mary Clay, your husband just RSVP'd no to my Halloween party. Does that mean you're not coming to my Halloween party? You mean Mary Peyton? <laughs> what did I say? Mary Clay? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to go kill myself. <laughs> did he really just RSVP no? <laughs> It doesn't matter because I got your name wrong. So and and I am not the first person to do that today because Haley did the same thing in the group chat earlier. <laughs> oh, that's right. Mary and Clay I was, so was saying something. Mary Clay was saying some shit, and Haley started yelling at Mary Peyton. <laughs> right? I, w- I was honestly so excited because Haley, like, it's hard to get Haley to respond in a group chat. Hey, Haley. Um, and it was to me. <laughs> it it's never me to me. It. To be specific, it's also hard to get her to respond to the one-on-one chats. Okay. <laughs> well, I was so honored, and then I read it, and I was like, wow. <laughs> and it wasn't even funny. <laughs> it wasn't even funny. It's like, it's like that one time that my mom um, accidentally called me, and I was, like, was she, she was actually at a music Mary? festival at the time, too, so I was like, mom, how's it going? I was so excited, and she chatted with me for a little bit, and then a few moments in, she was like, okay, well... I actually meant to call my other friend Mary. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> Thanks, Mom. She could have not said that. My parents love me. The That's woes the of Mary Peyton, am I right? Uh, my brother rang me while I was at a 21st on the weekend. I get this ring from this landline number, and I'm like, this could be like an employment offer. Admittedly, it is 7.30 on a Saturday night. Not quite sure why someone would be calling me at this hour, but I'm going to pick up really the phone quick, anyway. Really quick, important context. People can drink at 18 in Australia. Oh, uh, right? yes. I really should explain. Yes. No, so it's not like an American 21st. We call that the Australian 21st. It is still a big thing. Like, it's a, a 21st. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. It's hmm. it's weird. We do 18th and 21st. 18th are weird because not everyone's 18, and so often people are drinking alcohol not oh, very yeah. legally, but it's like all on profit property and stuff like that. So. I mean, it's the same thing as the 21st here. Yeah. And then after your 21st birthday, then you have zero more birthdays to look forward to for the rest of your life. So that's fun. But yeah, my brother rings me. But like he starts in an accent, like 
we often answer the phone in like a, whatever weird accent picks up picks our fancy. <laughs> I, I love that little insight into your relationship. <laughs> and so I thought it was a scam call, and so I'm like two seconds away from hanging up the phone on him, and he's like, "Oh no, no, it's me." I'm like. Really? Like, it's actually you? It's like, oh, yeah, it's me. I'm calling from a payphone. Oh, yeah, I called James. He didn't pick up the phone, so I rang you instead because I wanted to chat to someone on the payphone. I was like, what? Oh, my God. I'm like, I'm glad I'm the second choice. One time, maybe like four or five years ago, I was getting a lot of spam calls. Like, I I had must have tried to get a health insurance quote (laughs) or some shit because, like, I was getting, like, every couple of minutes I was getting a spam call. And so I think I just like, like hit my limit and I answered the phone and I was like, Hey, who the fuck is this? I would love to never fucking hear from you again. And they were like, Hey, um, it's just your dermatologist trying to confirm your appointment. (laughs) I was like, Oh, Hey, Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I need to tell you, I've gotten a lot of spam calls. I'm sorry. I just, I'm really excited to come to that appointment. Thank you so much for understanding. And she's like, you don't need to come to the appointment anymore. I canceled it. And I was in the car with Sean, and he, like, watched the whole thing happen. And, and that was probably one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. I regret it like nothing else. That's one of the best stories I've ever heard. When I got a U.S. phone number, I got so many more spam calls, like, within five days of getting a U.S. phone number than I have ever gotten in my life. Spam calls, spam text messages, Text messages meant for someone else who had used that phone number recently. No. <laughs> it was, yeah. I've had, luckily, I've luckily had this phone number since I was, like, 13. <laughs> so all the all the calls all for, are for me. They're just maybe not people I want to hear from. Yeah. It's the last night of the holidays, and their Hogwarts letters arrive. Can we talk about how disrespectfully late this is? McGonagall went and took long service leave over the holidays and Dumbledore had to send out the letters. Because, like, what if they can't go to Diagon Alley immediately? What if you are a muggle-born? Um, yeah, this is fucked. This is fucked. This is so disrespectful. Yeah. The this Our characters are lucky that Molly Weasley can just go. I actually don't think it's they're all late. I just think they're the ones to Grimmauld Place are late. Because they've had to go oh. through like extra layers of security and diversions and things like that, or like huh. McGonagall forgot. Maybe Dumbledore like hand delivered them, and he really did just kind of forget to get them there on time. He's like, "Molly, don't worry about it. They're coming." And Molly's <laughs> like, "Hey, Albus, I would really like to talk about these letters." And he's like, "Oh yeah, oh they're in my other broom. I'll bring them next time, or like whatever." <laughs> I do the think that broom. they were hand delivered. I don't think Owls delivered these because. And you would that have had sense. to you would have had to have delivered dummy letters to to Privet Drive and the Weasley's place. To <gasps> dummy letters. I kind of like that idea. I feel like there's a whole like part of the meanings, like when Harry arrives, must have been like a conversation about, okay, we have all of these Hogwarts students here and we can't deliver letters via owl to this place. Because it's gonna arouse too much suspicion. Yeah, it does just say Ron entered their bedroom carrying a couple of envelopes. Book lists have arrived, he said. Like, I think I think you're right that like Ron's like the stupid Hogwarts owls just got here. But it's like, obviously, there's a lot more things going on behind the scene that Ron's not thinking about. Yeah. Or they've been delivered to the Weasley's place at the borough. And Mr. Weasley's only just gone back to go and gra- pick oh. up the mail or something. Yeah, that's Man, true. How... I, we haven't talked about this, 
but like I keep thinking about it just a little bit. Like it must be really hard for the Weasleys, but especially like Molly Weasley to not be home all summer. Oh, this like is what they, the mental breakdown is about. But like, yeah, she's not in her home. Imagine the amount of care. You know, we all live in our own homes. Like the amount of effort and care that you put into taking care of your own home. And then on the flip side of that, the amount of comfort that you feel at being in your own home. And then you just get like picked up and stuck in this shitty old house that is owned by a man who doesn't really like you and no one has even been here for like 20 years and it's racist. (laughs) The house is racist. That must feel awful. Plus she's like constantly expected to be the one to provide and like make a home for everyone. And she's having to do it against, literally against all odds in this space. She doesn't have any of the things that she's worked so hard to make her home into. I think there's an aspect of, like, if Molly wasn't there, that there would be like, no, oh, you've got to make this place a safe space for the kids. It's Molly has, like, forced a lot of that role onto her. Like, I think Lupin would have, and and Sirius to an extent as well, would have, you know, done a lot of of what Molly had done, but because Molly is at odds with, um, with Sirius and, you know, is arguing with him and that not everyone's getting along, she's taken on all this extra emotional load that she could have delegated to, to people as well. It's a refusal to like delegate your responsibilities. I really personally relate to Molly Weasley in that I take on a lot of emotional labor and then am mad about the emotional burden that's placed on me but in certain situations I'm extremely confident that I am the person to do the thing if Sean and I needed to go into hiding with some of our friends kids or whatever and like someone needed to run the household cook the dinner clean and take care of the kids wow that sounds like a hard job look around at the audience uh, okay, I think that objectively I'm the right person for that job. Does that make it fun? No. <laughs> Is it going to make everything easier for everyone? Fucking yeah. So I'll fucking do it. So like, does she put herself in that position? Is the position put onto her? I think it doesn't matter. I think it's the same. I think it's the same thing. Yeah. They are the same. Uh, I know this is getting far into it, but like I, I okay. even if she's bringing so much of that onto herself, I hate the concept of like because you didn't ask me to help you, I am I'm not, not going to. I, I, it's not my yep. fault that I'm not doing any of these things. Fuck like that, like cleaning Fuck dust that. and mold. Mm. It doesn't take anyone to mention that. Like Molly didn't do it because there's a list on the fridge of things that need to be done. Like she did it because she yep. sees it. Um, and like not to get too deep into it, but like all the time when I'm like, Sean, I feel like our like emotional burden of caring for the home is not equally distributed. He's like, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. And I'm like, hey, babe, the cool thing is that you own this house and I can leave at any fucking moment. <laughs> yeah. OK, so maybe you should just look around. You have better eyesight than I do. What needs to be done? Yeah, that drives me bonkers. I love Sean very much, but that drives me bonkers. It's really annoying. He does have. Like, is he there? He does have ADHD and he like doesn't see things the same way as me, but that doesn't mean he's blind. It's it's a fascinating concept of like, I think beyond gender roles, because I've done this as well, where I've rocked up somewhere and I've taken responsibility for things. And I think that 
yes, you know, people could have said, oh, or people could have acted and, and helped me. But there's also this weird, like, resting bitch face kind of thing of, and I don't want to blame Molly for it. I don't think it's necessarily her fault. I think it's a lot of it is situational where she is she is very emotional about the well-being of her children and Harry and Hermione, which are basically her adopted children at this point. But, you know. Of course. She's so worried about them that she is causing a lot of, she's, like, starting a lot of fights as well during the order meetings where, you know, they all start discussing something or and, you know, she gets in a, a spat with Sirius or, you know, yeah. she deeply disagrees with Tonks's, you know, attitude and things like that. And so she's she alienates herself because she cares so much about those children and their safety that the way she's going about it is, is like, isolating her and... I would be in that same position. I, If I was in that position, I would be the Molly in that situation. I would be the one well, who has taken all this responsibility, cracking under the pressure and wondering why no one's helping me while causing fights left, right and centre. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really valid that Molly is alienating herself to the other adults by the way she's acting. Um, but I also just wanted to say, you know, Sam, you said at the beginning of your little sentences there, that um, this isn't about gender roles. And and I would like to say, none of this is about gender roles. The reason I invited you on for this episode, uh, Sam, is actually because this is a very Molly Weasley-centric chapter. And I needed, I need, I felt like I needed to talk about it with a mom. Yeah. And Brooke is on maternity leave. Um, if For the listeners, Brooke's baby has been born. Everyone's doing great. She's really cute. <laughs> Uh, but so I didn't have access to a mom. So I was like, well, Sam is good. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating because I do this too. Like as a child, I do this to my siblings where I will start cleaning the kitchen. I actually did it this week. Um, we have all these dishes that we need to clean, all these containers that have been used. And my siblings have been re- refusing to clean them. I live with two of my brothers. And I cracked over the weekend. I was like, I'm just going to clean them all because I just need to be clean so I can use them because I can't use them while they're not clean and I actually want to use them. And then I got angry at them f- for, like, not helping. But it's like, why would they help? Because, you know, I've I've put myself in a position where they're not, they don't want to help me because if they come and help, they're going to get criticised or vitrioled. <laughs> and Mo- we see this, the but interactions between... But they could have just done it. First, Sam, they should have just done it. Oh, in the they should have. They should have. And this is the thing that pisses me off. Is like, but don't... they're not gonna come help no. you when you're yeah. mad. Yeah, and yeah. I think there's a lot of rage as well. It reminds me of the interactions I've been having with my mother recently, where there's a little bit of like weird rage of like we've been, we've uprooted our lives. We're in this we're in this random house, you know, living here in hiding. Um, you know, because of the bullshit that my husband is pulling. Like, let's be honest, Molly's a part of the order, but she's not, I wouldn't say she's as active as, say, Arthur or Sirius or Lupin are. Um, And so because she's stuck at, you know, she has, you know, does a lot more of the logistical things and a little bit more behind-the-scenes work, I think she is, like, a little bit angry at the fact that they're there and not at home where her comforts are, as we were talking about before. And so then... It's just spilling out into everything. Her negative energy is just spilling out everywhere and it is making interactions between other adults pretty painful. It's making the children not want to be really interacting with Molly as well. We hear a couple of comments and a couple of 
like passing very dismissive yeah comments from the narrative and like not really taking molly's full scope of experiences and emotions mm-hmm. i think that this is probably some of the best characterization of a mother i've ever read um you know as we get towards the end of the chapter here i started crying last night when i was reading this because wait don't skip ahead to the woe part it just even in whoa, general, whoa, whoa, like the emotional load of like, oh, all the book lists have arrived. I'm gonna go pick up all the books. Like, yeah, because who the fuck else is going to? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And like, Ron yeah. runs down to go tell you know uh, Mrs. Weasley what kind of you know broomstick he wants. And I think that there there would have been a great point here to go. Why don't we go and help her get you know? Why don't one of us goes and helps her? grab all the books, you know, because it's a lot of books, let's be honest. Hermione. Hermione and little Molly having a cute little day in Diagon Alley. That's cute. But I think yeah. that there's this anxiety of interacting with her. Even Hermione at this point is, like, anxious of interacting with her that they're like... Hermi- Hermione's just, like Molly yeah. Jr. She's really dealing with a lot. But they're like, we're going to step away from the situation because we don't want to be burned. Yeah. Honestly, the Molly effect, the Molly Weasley effect is, like, is, like, a, a big reason that, like, I do not want children because, like, uh, I married an Arthur, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, who's going to get anything done? Who's going to make any rules? Who's going to be the yeah. bad guy? It's going to mm-hmm. be me, and I'm really not interested in playing that role. Molly said yes. Molly said yes. I want to care for your seven children. And because she said yes, I want to care for your children, she is now... 20, 30 years later, we're roped into caring for this whole household that is like includes adults and children that don't belong to her. This is the role she chose so long ago, and it's just so different than she ever could have dreamed back then. Yeah. Like, I, I agree with you, Sam, that it's like a really good, strong characterization of a, a mother. But I think it's because they the other characters do her so dirty. Like, I, I don't. Oh, yeah. I feel like she's in a nightmare in this whole, like, not even thinking about the Boggart situation, but including that, I yeah, guess. like before the Boggart still. This is just yeah. her life. She's just in a nightmare. She's just trapped in a nightmare. And, like, um, you know, like you said, she's been forced. She chose this life of, like, you know, taking care of her children and homemaker. And she does an excellent job. That's what she can provide. And that's what she's very good at. And, in, <laughs> and it just angers me because it's a household full of men. Full of men. men. And I... Men. You know who helps? You know who fucking helps clean one day? You know who fucking helps clean one day? Tonks. Nymphadora Tonks. A woman. Said yeah. in a voice like Mulan. Remember when that guy in Mulan is like, is like, oh, Mulan got hurt. And then he looks and he's like, titties? And then he drags her outside and is like... A woman. A woman. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> a woman. It's just wild to me because... What are the what are the men d- even doing? Like they chat. What a are lot. the men even doing? Ar- Arthur's like Kingsley's coming for dinner, and Molly's like, I didn't buy enough meat for that shit. Right. You can't. Like all I can think in that moment is like, you have to know how many people are eating dinner to prep dinner, and anyone who has ever prepped dinner would know that. And as we know, according to home, let me see if I can Google it. Magic law about matter. Oh, oh yes. Wait, no, um, wait, 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 wait. I have to type Harry Potter. Harry Potter. 
Um, it's impossible to make good food out of nothing. You can summon it if you know where it is. You can transform it. You can increase the quantity if you've already got some. Um, but I guess you can't just conjure it. That's a Hermione quote from Deathly Hallows. Out of thin air. That's pretty fancy. Yeah. I like and that. To be honest, a lot of these interactions are very realistic. Like, my father will go, oh, yeah, these people are coming around for dinner. Mom's like, how many? Dad goes, I don't know. And then, like... Not that, like, mum and dad share a lot of the household chores very evenly. Like, but my parents, like, my mother definitely takes a lot of that emotional load and ends up having to be the bad guy. She doesn't want to be the bad guy. She wants to be the good guy. Mm-hmm. Yes, but somebody has to be the realist. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It's a very accurate de- depiction. And to be honest. I agree. I think towards the end of the, the books, we really see that Molly doesn't regret it. She does not regret the choices she's made in her life. And she does not regret looking after all those children and being a positive force in the world. Because overwhelmingly, she's a positive force in this world. And I think that it's a really important conversation to have about there is a significant emotional load that people take in relationships to... and. We've got to acknowledge that. And, yes, while they might not regret taking that emotional load, there are ways you can make that emotional load more sustainable and create more longevity about, you know, when you have frank conversations about this kind of thing. I think Molly's trouble is that she is like, she is like, I will be this person in our relationship, Arthur. And then she's like, okay, I'll be this person in our family, Weasleys. And then she's like, okay, I'll be this person in our extended family. And then she's like, it's like, okay, and now I'm being this person for an entire group of people. Like, she is playing a role in an organization now. Right. Mm. If you had asked her 30 years ago, what would you like your job to be in the Order of the Phoenix? She probably wouldn't have picked this role, you know? It might have been different for her. So I think it's a snowball effect that really just caught up with her. We also have to acknowledge that there aren't a lot of women left in the Order uh, of the Phoenix as well. Like, there aren't. Like, Tonks herself and, like, uh, I can't think of many other women left in the Order. I do like that the book is like, hey, I just, I think we all can agree that Tonks isn't a caregiver, right? Yeah. (laughs) And we're like, yeah, 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 no, Tonks is not the mom here for sure. (laughs) And then there's like McGonagall who only shows up occasionally. Mm. And are there any other women of who are of age? I think the rest of them either died oh, with Hestia their husbands. Hestia Jones. Yeah. Hestia Jones. Um, other random bitches. Anyway, I think that we have said all there is to say about Molly right now before Ugh. we get to the woe. But I, I'm really glad we finally got to have this conversation because she... I think is a universally beloved character in the fandom. I think Not My Daughter, You Bitch really got her a lot of um, like oomph at the end there. Mm-hmm. But she is so complex, so realistic. Anyone who has ever been a caregiver in any kind of way, I think, can probably relate to her character, especially if it is more than you thought it would be or or happen in a way that's different than you expected. So I'm I'm really glad that we're getting the opportunity to really talk about her because she's a really special character to me. Mary Payne, I think I've heard you say that she's special to you before. Is yeah. it because her birthday's the same as yours? It is? Did I know that? I, th- I think it's the 30th. I think it's actually the 30th. It is the 30th. Ah. Yep. Her birthday's the day before That's yours. That's close so you guys enough. I'm claiming it. Anyway. I love it. 
Sam, do you feel like Molly is, is a character that's like close to your heart that you really love? Or, or are you kind of ambivalent about her like in the middle? Or do you not like her? I deeply respect the character. I think respect that the character. she isn't necessarily my favorite, but I she's up there because she's just a, such an accurate and yeah. like it's it's like holding up a mirror to like for me because I can see so many parallels to my own life and to my own experience that have deeply impacted me emotionally you know when I was a child and even to this day and so mm-hmm. having having someone like that who holds up a mirror to your domestic life because a lot of a lot of books end up talking about your public facing life and you know you feel like oh I relate to this and this publicly but like privately Molly really does resonate and not very often like it's very there's not many moments in the books where it really happens but when it does it's very deep yeah and I think it's important to note that like and I've said in recent episodes that I don't agree with Molly's decision making right now I think that her um trying to prevent Harry from knowing things is really misguided. Um I, I super don't agree with every step that Molly takes, but it is a respect for the role she's playing and her mission of protecting her children. I think that I admire so, so much. And it's such an important role in this book. And on top of it, so many of the women that Joanne has written are pretty two-dimensional stereotypes. And Molly Weasley is a character who could have become a stereotype. I think we can all see the fat country mom stereotype just really. And in the first couple of books, I think she kind of is that stereotype, but in the end, she really becomes such a vivid, wonderful, powerful character that is truly like the backbone of these middle books, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. Cause I, I feel like I was going to say the way Joanne writes her and gender roles in these books is mm-hmm. so deeply ingrained in her, in Joanne, that, like, they're assumed. You know, like, in this situation, specifically, they're at the order, and the men don't do any of the caretaking, and Molly is literally one of the only women there, and so she's doing everything. And that's yep. such a bizarre situation, but it's written like it's just the most natural thing in the world. Like, it just, why, why would Sirius be doing the dishes? That doesn't make sense. It's just, yeah. like, so deeply ingrained, I think, in the author that it's mm. it's apparent here. So apparent. You're right yeah. about that. Yeah. You're totally right. I think another aspect of this as well is, and we come back to the whole problem with wizard jobs, where, like, all of these... <laughs> what else was she going to do? <laughs> like, all of these men have, like, day jobs. Like, you know, and most of them work in the ministry. You know, Dumbledore is preparing for the new school year. I'm guessing McGonagall is on some sort of long service leave because, to be honest, it's the only thing that I think she deserves right now. Um, <laughs> and uh, a whole, I can imagine that conversation, though. Like, Dumbledore's like, okay, Voldemort's back. We need to be, like, all hands on deck. And McGonagall turns around and goes, I booked my long service leave, like, three years ago for these dates. I'm going <laughs> to southern Spain. You- I'm going on sabbatical. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and... I think that, yeah, because they like, the world doesn't stop during school holidays and we have a very school-centric view in these books. And I'm having to remind myself now, like, as an adult, bringing it back to content and capable theming, that, like, my life isn't defined by the school term dates and the school holiday dates or my university oh my term it's dates. so not. You're better than your school term, Sam. But, like, 
part of my life is still defined by that at the same time because I have siblings and family members who are defined by those things and are only free during those times. So it's this weird dichotomy of I'll be working a lot through my sibling school holidays, but, you know, I finish university by the time that this episode comes out, you know, I'll be done. Woo! Um, so, oh, my God. Nice. That's extremely exciting for you, yeah. dude. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. Oh, I'm so close. So close. But, yeah, it is. It's very fascinating. I'm, I am going to move us along now. Um, sorry. But I do love this conversation about Molly. No sorries whatsoever. I'm your caregiver. Sweetheart, <laughs> sit down. Eat some toast. It's fine. So the Hogwarts letters have just arrived. Fred and George apparate into the room. And they're like, oh, my God, can you believe that Dumbledore hired a defense against the Dark Arts teacher? Because, like, I think that was hard for him. Because, like, remember last year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that? It's almost like divorce, beheaded, died, divorce, beheaded, survived. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so they're like, who assigned this book? Oh, my God, there's a book for Defense Against the Dark Arts. Who's going to teach us? I'm surprised no one reads it. And then everyone is like, no, I mean, I'm being dramatic. The book is like, Ron, what's up, dude? What are you looking at? He's just staring at his letter in shock. Everyone's like, what's up? What are you looking at? And he's like, uh, uh, Ron, Nold, what's his middle name? Do we know? No. Let me see. Ron, Ronald Weasley. Um, Middle, hold on, just give me James. A Middle. Donald. It's not James. <laughs> Billius. Billius. Ronald Billius Weasley. Love it. Is a prefect. Da-da-da! His worst nightmare. Doesn't make any sense. Oh, this is actually... Sorry, this is what I was talking about where something made me fear for Hermione's future. And it was this because I was thinking about, like, why would you select Ron as a prefect? Because he's not the kind of person that will hold anyone else Do accountable anything. in any way. Ron is the kind of guy who's like, uh, Hermione's out of town tonight, so I'm babysitting our kid. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hermione is out of town tonight, so I'm the prefect for the common room because, well, she's not here, so... <laughs> We all can do whatever you want. There's no rules. He's like the cool uncle of dads. He's the cool uncle of dads, yes. which is a terrible way to be a dad. Mm-hmm. A friend said that to me. A friend who his wife is expecting was like, wah, 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 and I'll be babysitting. And I was like, hey, buddy, you're going to be parenting. Parenting. Oh. Parenting. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my question, Sam. I'd like you to answer first. Who would you have made a Gryffindor prefect this year? Neville. Uh, okay. I'll withhold my response. Okay. <laughs> Mary Payton, what about you? I don't know who I would make a prefect, but I definitely... No, you have to answer, though. It definitely wouldn't be Harry. Like, that's all I know for sure. Right, not Harry. Not Harry, but who would you pick? <laughs> <laughs> now you've got to make a decision. Can I pick Luna? That is the wrong house, wrong gender. <laughs> oh, oh that, right, 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 right. Okay. Okay, give me another second. Hold on. Your options are Harry Potter, Ronald Weasley, Dean Thomas, Seamus Finnegan, and Neville Longbottom. Those are your choices. Yeah, it would have to be Neville. Neville's a good one, and that is what Sam said. He's the only one that would stand up to his friends. 
Yeah, but who? But what about his enemies? <laughs> he would not stand up to his enemies. That's for sure. I would. I think Neville's a really strong choice. I would also consider Dean Thomas. We don't know mm-hmm. a ton about him, but what I know is really solid. It's, I think he would do. I think you can rely on Dean to really do the right thing. I definitely think so, but I also see Neville as someone. If you gave him the opportunity, who would really step up into the role. Um, I agree with you, but the flip side of that is I'm not sure that Neville yet, maybe at the end of this year, but like, I don't think he necessarily has the backbone. I think it, I think making Neville a prefect right now might make him a bigger target to bullies. It might turn him into a Percy, I feel like. Percy, oh my God, the darkest timeline. Neville becomes (laughs) Percy too. Oh no. So this is why... This, the the Hogwarts prefect system is the only reason why you shouldn't gender things. Imagine Team Hermione and Parvati or something like that. That's a good prefect team. Oh, the mm-hmm. first years would not be getting away with anything. Imagine if there was like two really strong prefects for when Harry was in his first year. Voldemort would be back by now. Yeah. Ronald Weasley is extremely confused. And and he like holds the badge out to Harry as if to confirm that it's real. Yeah. And Harry's like, okay, I guess I'll touch it to confirm that it's real. <laughs> so Harry takes it from Ron. And then Hermione walks in and she's like, oh my God, Harry, you're a prefect. I knew you would be. I never doubted it was you. I never considered anyone else. There's no one else who is nearly as good as you. And I have been thinking about you becoming a prefect. And there is no surprise for me here whatsoever. <laughs> And then it's like, no, it's, <laughs> it's Ron. And she's like, oh, yeah. Oh, he's yeah, like, are you cool sure? <laughs> Maybe the letters got mixed up. And it happens like so many times as well. <laughs> like we're like Harry and Ron, like, and it's awkward for them because it's like Ron knows that Harry wants it. Ron is way more emotionally mature than we give him credit for Wait, sometimes. Wait, does Harry want it? Does Harry want it? Deep down... Like so, the internal conversation Harry hasn't he has a, thought about it deep down in like his impulses that he wants it. I think he just doesn't want to not have it to be not given it if his friend has it. Harry, you can't have fucking everything just because you're the chosen one doesn't mean you're like the chosen prefect. Like it doesn't mean everything. Just kidding. He doesn't know he's the chosen one until the end of the book. I deeply like relate to the way Harry feels about this because in high yeah. school I ran for school captain. And I knew I wasn't going to get school. Can you tell me what school? That's an Australia thing. What's a school captain? Like head boy, basically. Okay. And you wanted to do that on purpose? Yes. Yeah. I ran for it on okay. purpose because okay. um, gotcha. I'm a slut for attention. So to get school captain, you had to give, unlike in the UK, you had to give a speech uh, and the whole student population voted on whether they wanted you a school captain. So it became a popularity contest. And the teachers had a bit of say as well. Um, so when I ran for it, there was about five or six other people running for it. And really my only competition was out of three people, maybe four people. If you had defends, depends on how popular you think that that fourth person was. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wasn't going to get school captain, but I was kind of hoping that I would get vice. If not, there were other leadership positions. I had basically already got in the bag. Is it called vice captain? Uh, yeah. So it's the school vice captain. It doesn't exist. The role doesn't exist anymore. They've made them all, like, all four. So it's, like, two boys, two girls. 
now it's just genderless. It's just school captain. So I think they can have like three girls and a guy if that's what the way they're feeling like. Ooh, genderless. Um, that's a cool new gender to have. I like that. Genderless. Maybe it's gender. Maybe it's genderless. Anyway, I ran for this and they when they announced it. So I knew I wasn't getting school captain. My One of my good friends got school captain. Um, mm-hmm. The person who got vice captain made me upset because I was like, oh, wait, I didn't get any of the positions. And it's like when they announced the vice captain, I got quite upset. Um, internally, I didn't really yeah. show it externally. But it was this running commentary. And Harry's commentary is so accurate of like, did I deserve it? Probably not. Someone pointed out to me as well because I had a conversation with some of the girls who missed out as well. They're like, oh, some oh. of it might also be like photogenic stuff as well. You know, you're not as photogenic as the person who got vice captain. Um, and, rude. Yeah. but You're not photogenic? That's why you're not in charge of us? But like, I get that because... And you know what? My experience in year 12 really did taught me, teach me that those school captains did nothing and the people who were actually doing the work were the people in the positions like myself who was in charge of the student rep council and, you know, the people who were in charge of went to a Christian school, the, the faith and service team and things like that. They actually got the work done because mm-hmm. the school captains were very just figureheady kind of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it's a very fascinating and very valid feeling to have of like, and that awkwardness of when like your friend gets it and you don't, and it's like, yes, my friend got it. Congratulations for him. I'm trying so hard not to feel jealous right now. Yeah. I think that, I think that if Dean Thomas, for example, had been chosen as prefect, Harry would have been like, oh, cool for you, Dean, whatever. I don't give a right. shit. I think if Neville had been chosen, Harry would have been like, uh, okay, that's a pity thing. I'm the coolest still, obviously. It's the fact that it's wrong that Harry's yeah. having like all these conflicting emotions about it. In all this confusion, enter Molly Weasley. And she's like, oh, hey, everybody. And they're like, uh, there's a thing. And she's like, what? what and they're like, oh, this thing. The Ron's a prefect. And she's like, what? I love how, how that cut wonderful. out. <laughs> that's everyone in the <laughs> Fred and George sitting there. Where there's this meme. It's like an angry, I don't know, an angry character. <laughs> Molly says, "That's everyone in the family." And then George says, "What are Fred and I next door neighbors?" This is the funniest line in the entire series, and I will not relent. I love that part, dude. The, the, like, what was she thinking? She doesn't explain herself at all. No, she just moves right on, right past it. You know what? I could see my mother doing this, though. My mother would definitely ignore a child. I just love that so much. That's fucking hilarious. They're in the room, woman. <laughs> so good. It reminds me of in the first book where they like um on purposely like mix it themselves up and it's like, do you even know your own children, mother? <laughs> <laughs> so Ron gets a present as a reward for becoming prefect, which Deeply he only got because Harry's got too much going on. <laughs> so he's like I Okay, he wants a broom. It's clear that this is a big ask, but Molly will make it happen for Ikawanikins. <laughs> I love it. I love that she wants to reward him with something that he really loves. 
I know. I do too. She's like, this will ruin us, but I have never done anything good in your life. I have so many problems with this. I like, I think deeply problematic. You do not reward your children for getting an arbitrary role that they didn't work really for. Like, let's be honest. You're right. She, he didn't work for it at all. <laughs> um, not that the fact that any of them were working towards prefect, you know, you could you could be working towards prefect, but like even then, you don't get that decision. You don't get to campaign for it. You don't get to prove like like explicitly prove why you deserve that role. Um, so rewarding it and then like doing it in front of your three other children, I think is just no. That that hurts. Um, Especially saying that's everyone in the family. Everyone in the family. Oh, that's it. We also completely forgot Ginny. Well, she's not old enough. Yeah. And she'll definitely not get it, so don't worry. But like it's a it's a it's a really like maybe privately pull him aside, you know, a couple after like celebrating and going, Hey, I wanna treat you for this like amazing thing. Let's, you know, let's go and get you something to celebrate. I actually didn't think about that until you brought that up, which is a good point, like, that he didn't really work for it, I don't think. But there's got to be, even if they don't say it in the book, like, I think it's implied that there's some sort of requirements you have to hit, like, some sort of things you're evaluated based on, um, even if they're I don't know, man, it's town. <laughs> but also, like, I think part of parenting, too, is, like, knowing your child's fears or worries or the things that drag them down. And I think she's well, she's got to be aware being, being Molly Weasley, she's got to be aware of Ron's, the fact that he always feels like he's second best to all the people in his family. You mean like sixth best? Right. Right. (laughs) Whatever number it is. Bill is the best. (laughs) Charlie's the second best. Um, Quick question. Uh, Sam, you first. Have you ever gotten paid or gotten a reward for good grades? No. No. In fact, I would probably be berated more for having good grades. But anyway. What? Why? Weird, weird things. Okay. Okay. Uh, Mary Peyton, what about you? Have you ever gotten paid or rewarded for good grades? I can remember, not regularly at all, but I do remember when I was little... I specifically remember this one time my mom picked me up and, like, I got, like, all A's on my report card and we went and got ice cream or something. Fucking nerd. How old were you? <laughs> I don't remember. I was definitely in Were you, like, school. six or were you, like, 17? Like, like six. Like, closer to that. Okay. Yeah. I think when I got runner-up ducks in year nine, which was a weird thing that happened because everyone failed science in year nine, I think. Um, when I got runner-up ducks that year, I think we went, maybe went for, like... But, like, we more like celebrated time-based events, more like the end of the school year we went and got ice cream or, you know, we went to the beach uh, as a family when, like, mm-hmm. school time ended and things like that. Or if we did celebrate something, it was, like, something we worked really hard for. So, you know, my parents... You know, like, not grades. Yeah. Well, if you worked really hard and you got, like, a good grade <laughs> on something that you've been struggling on, I'm sure mum and dad would have celebrated it. But because we were all, like most of the top end of my family are very academically gifted. It's like, no, where can you improve? My mother, when my sister turns around and, well, even when I turned around and go, oh, good name, math. She's like, well, where could you improve? How can we get that A plus, you know? Mm. Uh, because there's always a point of improvement. I never got rewarded for good grades because I got bad grades. Oh. Um, I got bad <laughs> grades. Okay. 
my parents would not have rewarded me, but um, I got bad grades. I, I got rewarded by not having things taken from me. Mm. My mom was like, Christina, I know you're smart. Please, please. <laughs> if you get even literally just a C in science, I swear to God, you can read whatever you want. I won't even take your books from me because my parents used to take my books from me as a punishment. Man. Um, Jace, Jason, my husband, and I were just talking about this because Dusty had a big test today. Oh, my stepdaughter, Dusty, she's 14. Catcher, 22 years running for president. Don't you have to be 36 to run for president? Catcher in 22 years running for president. I'll mm-hmm. be voting for her. Will you? Dusty, 20, uh, 2044. We're definitely using this in our campaign material. Yeah, she, um, yeah, this, that goes along exactly with the story I'm going to tell, which is like, so she's 14, Sam, my stepson is 15, and he has, like, grades and school have come relatively easy for him, like, way too easy for him, and so, like, I don't even know if he knows how to study at this point, to be honest. Um, we had that problem. Well, I I actually still don't know how to study because I've never really had to work hard. In you university. read the book and you write it down. You write down the things. <laughs> but anyway, like Dusty, yeah, and that's like Dusty has has hard to work hard, you know. And she had a she had a big test in biology today where I was trying to help her study, and like it was not you. You get a biologist. <laughs> it was wild. It was like <laughs> so many of the words are so similar. The blind to each leading other. the blind. Um, but like, I spent so long with her trying to study, but also trying to like, make sure she knows how to study in ways that she can do on her own, you know? Um, but anyway, she, she texted us today because she got a 96 on it and pretty much the rest of the (gasps) class got D's and F's. Oh my God. I'm going to cry. I literally cried when she said that. She did so amazing. (laughs) I'm so proud of her. She Why? I so see. Hard. I don't need kids. I have all my friends. Yeah. I'm so proud of. She worked I so can't hard. She got I just a 96. like. Can't handle it. Listen, to was, Christina is literally it, crying. I know. That's beautiful. I had cried earlier. School is so arbitrary. It's so hard. It can be so invalidating to people who deserve so much. I am crying now, <laughs> and like. It's not like learning enough or being smart enough. It's le- it's like overcoming the system. Yeah. And like that is such a beautiful feeling. And it sucks because it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. But she must feel so good right now. I'm so happy. I know. I was like dying because she. It's the tequila. I'm crying because of the <laughs> Yeah. She just like she panics. She has a lot of anxiety too. So like test taking is really especially hard for her. And yes, so we, tests are the worst. We have to be like really, yeah, she's so smart, but her, and she, like you said, she's going to run for president. Like she could, she could plan an entire event. She anything. could take care of your budget for you. Like she could do all the grown up things, but she has trouble with tests. So like school is hard, but like she is like worlds past other kids her age and just being able to handle yes. life, you know, she's just amazing. She's actually my favorite person. Sorry, Mary Payton. No, that's fine. Sorry, Sam. Same. <laughs> Um, it, it's it's so fascinating because, you know, we're, we're reading a book about kids at school, you know, and it is so annoying how brief school is and how much stress and time and effort and energy that goes into it and so many tears and so many problems. 
I wish I could like wave a magic wand and everything be fixed. <gasps> a magic wand, you say? Oh. Ooh. Nice segue yeah. into the book we're supposed to be talking about. Yeah, we actually have still quite a bit of chapter left to go. <laughs> the chapter so, went for an hour, the podcast now has to go for two. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, exit Molly. She's like, I'm going to do all of the shopping for everyone. Exit the twins. Exit Ron. He's like, I'm going to go tell mom what kind of broom I want. Harry's like, cool. This is cool. Hey, Hermione. I'm totally fine. Don't even worry about it. Hermione's like, I see that you're handling this well. Can I borrow Hedwig to tell my parents that I'm a prefect? And Harry's like, yeah, fuck off. See if I care. So now that he's alone, Harry's mad. Which... Valid, valid, so valid. It's valid that he is jealous of Ron, but he also is having a bit of a, I'm a hero, so I should be a prefect, Mm -hmm. which are two things that I do not believe are connected. Prefects are meant to be lawful, and his hero ship so far has been, let's say, rogue. I think it's a lot, it's a very childish line of thinking. I think this is where we start to see Harry mature further in being a teenager, where we see him have a little bit more emotional intelligence and explore these childish impulse feelings that he's had for the last five years, where it's like, we're not acting on impulse now. Let's think through... Why am I feeling like this? Which is a very, very hard thing to do as a 15-year-old. And maybe it's because Hermione has already said to him like four times, hey, bud, I get that you're mad, but you're not allowed to be mad at us. (laughs) Which he completely ignores by the end of the book, like this negative character (laughs) development here. But, you know. Yeah, catch us for the screaming chapter in six months. (laughs) Is it six months? Oh, my God, it is six months. It's literally six months. We'll scream the whole episode. Ron comes back and him and Harry pack up their stuff. Harry is like, congrats for real this time. I feel better now. <laughs> I think Ron sees it. Ron, I, I think Ron understood. And I think part of the reason why he was so quick to go down. Just He's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> He's like, I need to leave Harry alone for a hot minute so he can calm himself down. Because I know he has yeah. the capacity to do that. Self-soothing. Yeah, we need to teach Harry how to self-soothe. You know, like they do with infants. Because the problem with school is that you're stuck together with these people all the time. You don't have a time to go, I need to step out of the room and pull myself back together. And so when you have yeah. you, when you have the opportunity and Ron, and Ron does it and Hermione does it, mm-hmm. it works because Harry is like the whole thing of like count to 10 before you say, you say something in anger. It's, it's right. very valid because it stops you from saying stupid shit. It's true. Or smoke a bowl. That's what I do. That's how I don't say rude things. <laughs> um, so eventually Molly Weasley comes back from Diagon Alley with a broom for Ron and also has time to prepare a very special dinner for Ron and Hermione to celebrate. Cool. It's cool that you have 76 hours in a day, Molly Weasley. <laughs> Making us all look bad. I know. And it's a, it's a bit of a party. A lot of the Order of the Phoenix attend. Notably, when Mad-Eye Moody arrives, Molly gets him to confirm what is in the desk. Yes, it's a bog art. That'll probably never come up again in this chapter. Mr. Weasley does a toast. 
we learn a little bit that Lupin was also a prefect. Harry learns that James was not a prefect. And he's like, cool, I want to be like my shitty dad. And everyone's just chatting bullshit, dude. They're all just chatting bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Do you guys remember what that's from? Yeah, um, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Thank you. Thank you. It is from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yes. Now I can get the sound clip. Thank you. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. That's a really reductive impression. (laughs) I love that movie. Me too. Oh, this was the part of the chapter that bored me to tears. Yeah, the world building bullshit chapter. I kept waiting for any part of the conversation to be important in any way. James wasn't a prefect either. I feel better now. And it's just like different adults going up to Harry and be like, are you sure you're fine with this? And he's like, I'm cool. (laughs) I'm cool. Yeah, it's almost like we could have just skipped it. Mm -hmm. So eventually it's time for bed. And Molly's like, I'm just going to go take a little break. I'm just going to go handle this bog art in the drawing room real quick. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. I don't need backup. I don't need guidance. I don't want to talk about it. This is normal. She's literally right picking a, a nighttime, like break time task that includes both cleaning and fighting a scary. Cleaning, fighting and trauma. And dealing with <laughs> like whatever traumas. it is, it's traumatic. Hmm. When it comes to approaching Bogarts, the way, what we've learned as the reader is that you've got to be very self-perceptive. And because Mrs. Weasley has a lot of emotional baggage, as we've already discussed, she wasn't and she didn't have time to like be a little bit more introspective and go, am I prepared to go handle that Bogart? Like emotionally, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think oftentimes we think the, of Bogarts as like this really simple creature to to stop but it's like if you're not prepared it's going to hurt and it's going to hurt a lot well especially because we've the we've only really seen a bog art so far with a bunch of third graders Mm -hmm. being like i'm a spider i'm a snake (laughs) and so like when you're 55 the things you are afraid of are super different right Mm -hmm. and putting the abstract into like a physical form like the abstract and completely irrational fear of everyone dying. Like, obviously it's a rational fear, but it's also wait, like... Wait, wait, wait. Wait for it. Wait for it. We'll get there. Yeah. Wait for the fear. But like... We'll hold that fear. But like, that fear, putting those abstract... You know, as you get older, your fear, your existential fears become more abstract. Putting them in a physical form yeah. is deeply disturbing. Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, I'm a, I have a question, but I'm going to save it. So... Mad Eye Movie comes up to Mad. I keep saying stuff dumb. I said Mad Eye Movie. Like, let's go to the movies. Mad Eye Movie comes up to Harry, gives him a picture of the original Order of the Phoenix. You know why? Because we need to remember what happened to Frank and Alice Longbottom. We'll need that later. Hang on to that. Trauma. Yeah. Trauma to the extreme. Harry's like, I feel weird. So he leaves. Goes upstairs. Hears someone crying. He goes toward it. The speed that he leaves that room. Well, you know, have you ever been super done with a party all at once? Mm-hmm. Yes, way too many times. And I've kept going because I don't know how to leave parties, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. Mary Peyton, you're in this house. It's a scary house. You're a child. You hear someone sobbing. Do you walk toward or away? Away, for sure. Away. Sam, toward or away? I stay still. <gasps> and listen. Yes, because I need more information. A is so there, maybe you go slightly toward. <laughs> a is there juicy juicy gossip. B is this someone I'm supposed <laughs> to be helping? Or C is this a trap? It could be a trap. Okay, um, 
I think it depends. Honestly, and I'm so sorry to say this, and, you know, I don't like to gender things. But if it's a woman sobbing toward, if it's a man sobbing, I'm running in the other direction. If I can't tell, I'm creeping closer to try to get a sneak peek of who's in that room. <laughs> if it's a man sobbing, uh-uh. I don't trust men with their feelings. I'm out of there. Harry's also so used to th- this moment of the house. He knows exactly what to expect that I think walking towards it is a natural thing for him to do because he knows that it's something out of the ordinary and knows yeah. this place very well, so knows what to expect. Yeah, trauma. He peeks into the drawing room and he sees Ron dead on the floor and Molly is uh not happy about it. <laughs> you could have ended please. the chapter here for like a very Rick Riordan-esque like cliffhanger. The Rick Riordan section break. Mary Payton, have you, I don't think you've read Percy Jackson, right? I've read the first one, but that's it. You did? Okay, I was talking about this. Right now I'm reading The Rise of Kiyoshi by F.C. Yee. It's an Avatar The Last Airbender book. And I, I was talking in um, our book club chat about the Rick Riordan section break because F.C. Yee also uses the Rick Riordan section break. And so most books use a section break. That's where it's like a line, a space, and then a new section. Or maybe there's some kind of graphic in between, mm-hmm. uh, like a dot, 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 uh, like a star, star, star. Most books use a section break, as we know, Mary Payton, to indicate a change in perspective, setting, or time period. Rick Reardon uses section breaks to indicate exclusively a change in drama. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, and then I saw that Ron was dead on the floor. Section break. It's like putting a commercial in, like, the worst spot. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's 100% that. Or, like, a fade to black. It's like the end of end of the Return of the King movies where it, like, oh fades to black God. seven times. No. <laughs> okay, so then she's like, ridiculous. And then the body changes to dead Bill. And then it cycles through the family. Mm. It goes to Harry. Here's what I would like to ask you now. Mary Payton, what would your bog art be today? Because it changes. What would it be today? Uh, mine would literally be the same thing. My loved ones dead. Because, like, not to get too into my depression or anxiety, but... um, But they exist. But they exist. It, that's something that I have to, like, if I start thinking about that, I have to get myself to think about something else very, very quickly. Otherwise, I spiral very hard. So I think that would that would definitely be the easiest and the most traumatic thing for the bogger to latch onto in my brain. Yeah, I feel that. I have the same kind of like spiraling thought process, but it's like, it's only Sean, like respectfully to the both of you. Um, <laughs> That's fair. Like That's anyone fine. else, I, I feel like I could get over it, but like Sean, I'm ruined. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, yeah. what about you? What would your bog art be today? I'm not going to linger on it much either because I feel like I'll spiral. Um, it's either um, failing a unit this semester and having to continue at university. Oh, so it's like the Hermione Bogart of like McGonagall <laughs> telling her she failed every final. Yeah. yeah, kind of. But it's more the fact that I've put in so much emotional labor and effort that I don't think I'm prepared to put in more. Um, mm. And then okay. the other one is like losing it all. Like, I don't know, being homeless, having no money, you know, those kind of. I see. I'm, yeah. I'm unemployed at the moment. That's like a running, like mm. really no, traumatic kind of background thought that's going on at the moment. Oh, I feel you. What a fun topic. I know. I'm having a hard time because right now my biggest fear is my own 
mortality. Love it. I I have heart problems. I don't have heart problems. I have hypertension mm-hmm. and I have anxiety. And they both manifest in the same way, making me feel like I am having a heart attack right now. Mm-hmm. So like last night, I was just I was watching October Kiss, <laughs> a terrible Hallmark movie set around Halloween with my friends, and I was just sitting there on the couch, genuinely wondering if I was having a heart attack because my heart was racing so badly, and it hurt, and I was like, "Is this the anxiety or is this a heart attack?" Which is what I think. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna die from a heart attack one day because I have hypertension. Anyway, the point is, bog heart. You can't be me. I'm me. What are you going to do? Yeah, that wouldn't be. I feel like it'd be hard to. I think it would be a depiction of like, I don't know, Sean at your funeral or something, probably. Oh, my God. Because that is the saddest part is that Sean doesn't know how to clean up cat barf without me. Sean's surrounded by cat barf. (laughs) He would be. I'm picturing him like a like a Hallmark movie, right? Where it's like. The day after your funeral, and he's like pretending like he's fine. He's back at the home. He's gonna get over it, and then the cat barfs, and he's kneeling next to it, crying, screaming, "Christina!" <laughs> That's it. So Harry's looking at Molly Weasley. Molly Weasley's looking at dead Harry. I guess <laughs> Harry's like, "Get out! Let let somebody else do this." You're like sobbing. You're not okay. Lupin comes running in with Sirius and and they get the Bogart as a couple. Because they're definitely sleeping in the same bed. Lupin and Sirius in the kitchen heard a commotion and they made, because they both have dog ears as a reminder, and they made eye contact across the table and they have an unspoken language and they both came running to help Molly because she's part of their pack. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. They get the Bogart. Lupin yeah. has experience with this kind of thing. You may remember. Mm-hmm. This is also one of like my worst fears: my friends being like hopeless and alone, and then discovering that, and it's like shit. I should be helping you, and then like Harry has the exact reaction I would. It's like get out of here, you know. You'd, but like not actually solving the situation as so, like Lupin. Yeah, like but come on, this sucks. I wouldn't do it. You don't either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Lupin comforts Molly. Lupin is the best. Fight me. Nobody wants to. We no. all agree. Lupin's agree. the best. <laughs> he is the and best. And Molly is not well. I just want to talk about this part for a moment. This is kind of connected to Molly Weasley just being in a nightmare because, like, she's literally in a situation right now where she is emotional. They're they're thinking overly emotional. You're like they're li- they literally say one of them says like Molly, it's just a bogger, just a silly bogger, and like I know they're trying to be helpful, yeah. but like it yet again puts Molly Weasley in the like you're overreacting. It's not a big deal. You're being emotional. But I also think they understand where she's coming from because like no, they all... I don't that yeah I don't like I I totally like agree with that too. But yeah. like I still think for her. Well, for me in that situation, I shouldn't say for her. For me in that situation, I would be like, I would hate the fact that, that like, yet again, men are coming around me to, like, cradle me when I'm I'll being emotional you it's like and you're sad. overreacting. Yeah. And they're seeing yeah. that my worst fear is my children dying, and that's such a mom thing. Oh, wow. Like, let us take care of you. She's so vulnerable Because right you're now. so scared and you're so sad. Like, I know I'm overthinking it because this whole chapter got me so angry, but... Ugh. That's why I brought you on because you're a a, a momish, a momish. Yeah, yeah. I, I think for the yeah 
at least from my perspective, I I, just, I completely understand that feeling of like don't don't talk down to me about my feelings. Mm-hmm. But often, I, yeah. at, at least I read the situation as like we're here to comfort you and help you feel better right now because the bogart has impacted you quite severely. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, it's just a bogart, you know. Molly needs someone that's like, fuck that bogart. Yo, fuck that fucking bogart. He was getting all up in your business. He was a formidable foe. Anyway, back in his room, Harry gets a little pain in his scar. He looks in the mirror. He tells his scar, cut it out. Mm-hmm. The mirror says, first sign of madness, talking to your own head. Very reassuringly. LOL. What a fun ending. I love it. Yeah. And that's the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. And we've been recording for two hours. Longest one of the book so far, boys. It was two hours Ooh. too long, guys. <laughs> I think that this chapter is a very fascinating look into the characterization of these these people before we get into anything that's too traumatic. Umbridge, you mean? Mm. Yes, 100%. But also... <laughs> yeah. but, like, just before the Voldemort stuff, like, at the moment, it's very theoretical. Voldemort's back, yes, but we haven't seen anything physically. Yeah, you're right. And so it's this whole, the running anxiety and the background of all of these chapters and this whole first half of this book, which I think is what makes it, what made it engaging to read the first time, is that there's this running anxiety of, like, what's going to happen? We don't know what's going to happen here. Is Voldemort going to act out? You know, and especially the yeah, first time you read like it. This is like the anxiety chapter, pretty much. But the, this, this whole, and I, this is where there's probably one redeeming argument for, and it's not the, it doesn't redeem the whole thing, but like the excessive amount of chapters we've had up until this point where it's eight, building. Eight up until this point? It's building that tension because you're, you're sitting there and you're going, what the hell? Because like, I, I, I'm waiting for the drama. I'm waiting for the action. I'm waiting for the violence. And it's not here yet. And we're waiting for it. We're still waiting for it. And it's anxiety-inducing waiting for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mary Payne, do you have any final thoughts about the chapter? No, I I mean, I think we talked more about this chapter than I expected us to. I think we got it all out. Yeah, I completely agree. But honestly, like, I, I really love the conversations we had in this chapter. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect us to go this in-depth, but I'm so glad we did. I'm really glad we got to take a moment to look at Molly's character. Mm-hmm. And I hope we find a good opportunity to do that in the next book and the next book as well. Because she she's really important. She really is a, a, a litmus test for how everyone else is feeling. Like, mm-hmm. if you combine yeah, all the emotions how everyone else is feeling... She represents that. Yeah, I like that perspective. Let's keep an eye on that. Let's see Let's see how that shifts as the book progresses. Are y'all ready to move on to plugs? Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're going to keep them quick. Sam, where can people find you on the internet? Well, tell them about your podcast first, obviously. <laughs> um, you can find me at um, Content and Capable. Uh, great podcast. Uh, most of you probably are aware of it. Definitely go check it out. I've got some really amazing guests um, on recently. Uh, I spoke to Zach from My Cabbages all about his work, working for a YouTuber. That was really eye-opening. And um, I spoke to Hope recently as well, who uh, is a 18-year-old who's been working in commercial radio for the last three years, which is cool. something I never thought would have been possible. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, um, you can find me on the internet at sam.journalist.com. Uh, 
on Instagram and on TikTok and Sam OB journalist on Twitter. You can find Content and Capable at Content the Letter and Capable on Instagram and on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. And if you haven't checked out Content and Capable yet, please do because Sam has some really interesting conversations with some really random people and like that's my favorite thing about the show. I think Sam is like how many different subjects you get to cover. Uh, let's just say it's a little less narrow than the restricted section in terms of like, <laughs> uh, like interest area. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Sam, what's something you've been watching, reading, playing, listening to lately? You think the listeners of our podcast would enjoy desperately scrolls to my list. Um, I'm going to plug, um, a song, uh, it, actually, an album, Ooh. sorry, um, by okay. a local artist here in Brisbane uh, called Girl and Girl. Um, their album Divorce came out a few weeks ago. It's a really fascinating one. Some of their songs are really long, but um, some of them are really fun to listen to. And I've, because I work in a radio station, I hear them often. And it's just, yeah. it's always a vibe. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. I'm definitely going to check them out. Yeah. I'm literally always looking for music recommendations. If you're listening, Please feel free to DM me personally at ChristinaCon underscore any music recommendation because I am always looking for them. Mary Payton, where can people find you on the internet? Really? I don't do much of my personals anymore. So you, I would love for you to find me at Wildling Press on Instagram, Facebook. Follow us there. We um, That's my TikTok. She's, she and TikTok. TikTok. Yes. Facebook and Facebook too. And I said Facebook. Oh, and the other. What's the other? Uh, Twitter. Twitter. Okay. <laughs> All the things. It's exhausting. Our lives are exhausting these days, guys. It's true. No, but we are um, an independent press that works to amplify traditionally marginalized voices in the um, publishing industry. Um, so working really hard on that. And I think we post a lot of cool content and writing yeah. tips. And- Mary Payton and I have a really fun ad running recently asking people to submit their manuscripts looking uh-huh. for fiction of all genres, especially... Uh, Authors of color, uh, queer voices, and w- women's stories. And we have so many white dudes mm-hmm. mad on that. <laughs> if you see that ad, comment something nice because there's so many white dudes who feel left out, even though it doesn't even say exclusively. It just says especially. <laughs> I love it because it's like, wow, you're boosting engagement by getting mad at us on Facebook. Yes. yes. Mary, Payton keep, you t- Mary Payton texted, Every comment helps with the algorithm. Every comment helps with the algorithm. <laughs> you just got to put it on repeat just to get through your day, you know? Man, you, yep, I feel exactly. like you, you've got to, like, now on purpose put out stuff to anger, like, the misogynists. I, apparently oh, we've already done to. that. Oh, <laughs> we have some books coming out that they're not going to like because it's lesbian. And you know what? Lesbianism does not involve men. Just Where are the men? Just unreal. nowhere. Yeah, so... So if you guys can, like, find us on all of those social mediums and... Uplift us as we uplift other yes, marginalized voices. it would be great. Because it would be... Because the uh, the shitty people are real loud. So it would be... The more That's the, the thing. There's a lot more not shitty people, but they just politely like the, right, the thing or right. submit their manuscript quietly. <laughs> yes. God, it's wild. Anyway, Mary Payton, what have you been watching, reading, playing, listening to lately you think the, the listeners of our podcast might enjoy? Um, I have been reading actually a collection of personal essays called all boys aren't blue i don't know if people have heard of it recently it's i it was especially big during um banned books week recently but um oh okay it's by george m johnson and um he's a journalist actually for many years and he wrote 
this he collected these personal essays about being a young queer man of color. Um, mm-hmm. it, there's all different kinds of essays, so they're not all difficult and painful. There's good ones too. They can be really uplifting. So it's yeah, I highly recommend. Awesome. Thank you so much. I've been your host, Christina. You know where to find me. I got two plugs for you today. The first one is Cozy Grove. It's a game that I'm playing on Switch. You can probably play it on other platforms, but it is like Animal Crossings, but a little bit easier and technically spooky because it has ghosts in it, but it is (laughs) honestly, it's just a little bit cuter than Animal Crossing. So it's really not scary. I swear to God, you could give it to your (laughs) four-year-old. The other thing I would like to recommend is The Rise of Kiyoshi by F.C. Yi. I mentioned it earlier in this episode. It's a Avatar The Last Airbender universe story. So I I recommend if you're planning on watching Avatar The Last Airbender to watch that first because this does technically have some some spoilers because it's about a character who comes up later in Avatar. Whatever. I super recommend it. It's a ton of fun and diverse as hell. For as little as a dollar a month, um, you can hear Christina's thoughts on that. Yes, Sam, yes. For as little as a dollar a month, you can join our Patreon. (laughs) And... Be a part of our network book club. We cover a lot of cool stuff, including The Rise of Kiyoshi by F.C. Yi. Our friend who's hosting that is Time Lord Iroh. Picked that book and is hosting that book club. Shout out to you, Time Lord Iroh. And um, Sam, shout out to you for reminding me to plug the Patreon. I've been <laughs> bad about that recently. Anyway, Sam, thank you so much for joining us for the longest episode of uh, uh, Order of the Phoenix so far. I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. And as always, Mary Payton, thank you so much for being my co, hold on, co-president, co-captain, co-clear implant. Perfect. (laughs) It's an honor as always. And that's the end of the episode. Happy Halloween. Goodbye. Wait, did we get rid of the whole, a couple of words? Yep. Yep. Yep, I did. Awesome. (laughs) Sure did. Sure did. That's it, potheads. Thanks for listening to the Restricted Section. This podcast is produced and hosted by me, Christina Kahn. Our theme music was produced by Ryan Kahn. Our logo was designed by Michael Hardison. Please connect with us on Twitter at RestrictedPod, on Instagram at RestrictedSectionPod, on Facebook at RestrictedSectionPod, or in our Facebook group, The Restricted Section Detention Crew. Join our Patreon to get access to our Discord server, our bonus episodes, and other cool perks. We're also very happy to be a member of Deus Ex Media, where all you fucking nerds can find all kinds of fandom podcasts to suit your fancy. Hi, my name's Sam, and I've recently become an adult. But why does adulting have to suck? Join me on my journey to rediscover the joy of following your passions as an adult and discuss it with people who are doing just that. I'll sit down with a variety of people from all walks of life and ask the important questions while trying to figure out what does it really mean to adult. Whether you're a pro or haven't even started, come and listen wherever you get your podcasts and hopefully you might learn a thing or two. I've never been more tempted to drink alcohol on a Thursday morning at nine o'clock than today. Dave X Media.